This Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and I'm Greg Masters, known to some on Twitter as at 2HealthGuru. I write about the accountable care industry at acwatch.com and am the principal producer and host of this broadcast. And joining me today are two of my favorite, shall I say, tweeps, since we originally met and continue to stay in touch off and on on Twitter, as well as occasionally at industry conferences. Uh, both are insightful doers, turn industry observers and respected advisors. Dr. Jan Sidorov, a self-described blog vocateur, curates the Disease Management Care blog and has a Twitter handle of Disease Management Care blog, which is spelled D-I-S-M-G-T-C-A-R-E-B-O-L-G. And Vince Caritis, JD MBA, who curates the eCare, e-carematagement.com blog and tweets via the handle of at Vince Caritis, and that's V-I-N-C-E-K-U-R-A-I-T-I-S. Both Jan and Vince write and talk about a range of issues in accountable care and the dynamics of this emerging industry, and now more about both Jan and Vince. Jan has over 20 years' experience in primary care, disease management, and population-based care coordination. He's a primary care general internist and former medical director at Geisinger Health Plan. He has the web persona of a blog vocateer with a wide range of knowledge about the medical home, disease management, population-based health care, and managed care that is only exceeded by his modesty. He has been quoted by the Wall Street Journal, Consumer Reports, and NPR's All Things Considered. He's a widely sought-after speaker. He is primary care by training, managed care by experience, and population-based care strategies by disposition, and we'll hear more about that. Vince's experience includes, uh, he's the principal at Better Health Technologies, uh, president uh, former President Health Choice uh, Medical Call Center, VP Corporate Development and VP Specialty Operations St. Alphonsus Regional Medical Center, and Regional Director of Marketing National Medical Enterprises, known today as Tenant. It's a hospital chain at that time with 100 facilities, and also Senior Consultant at Amherst Associates, a national healthcare management company. Uh, this Week in Accountable Care is brought to you by the HealthInnovationMedia.com. We check us out on the web as we follow the machinations of the emerging digital health or technology-enabled healthcare ecosystem from idea to business model. And today, we will visit the topic of clinically integrated networks, a rather timely topic, I might say, and their role in the accountable care ecosystem. So first up, let's start with you, Vince, since this uh, topic originated uh, between you and I um, and following on an earlier chat that, that Jan and I had uh, recently. What is a clinically integrated network and, and why does it matter from the point of view of accountable care? Well, while Vince is trying to figure this out, Jan, um, call me back in two minutes. Okay, with my apologies. I'll, I'll add you back on uh, Skype in two minutes. Okay. So, Jan, <laughs> log vocateer, rolling with the, rolling with the flow here. Um, let me. I just came from the last few days at the ACO Congress here. A uh, lot of talk about ACOs. A lot of talk about clinically integrated. 
uh, networks. Um, l- l- let me pose that to you. What is a clinically integrated network, and, and why are we hearing so much about them in terms of accountable care? As I recall, the distinct, the, Vince will get into this, but uh, the advisory board came out with uh, a white paper that uh, tried to distinguish between the two. When, when I think about the difference, ACOs uh, typically are formed around the notion of risk and managing risk, uh, typically upside risk. So if, if the ACO is responsible for hitting certain utilization targets compared to a control, an historical control, uh, that translates into sharing of the, of, of the insurance surplus that results from that. Um, many ACOs deploy and use clinical integration to, to manage that insurance risk, but you don't have to be uh, an ACO to, to incorporate many of the principles of clinical integration. You know, the end-to-end uh, alignment of clinical resources surrounding the care of a population, very adaptable uh, in some respects to the, both the fee-for-service world as well as to the management of risk. And in some respects, you could argue that, I, I would argue, that clinically, clinically integrated networks can kind of do both. You know, they can walk both sides of that street. They can, they can, um, they can both manage risk uh, in certain contracting with certain insurers, uh, yet at the same time leverage their clinical integration to take good care of patients in a fee-for-service environment. So uh, I'm not familiar with that advisory board report, but I think back in the 90s when, when these uh, series of statements were issued by the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission, it was really uh, looking at, okay, managed health care is driving integration at the provider level. We had provider-sponsored health plans. Uh, there's a fair amount of consolidation going on to create pricing leverage for hospitals and health plans are doing the same thing, trying to scale so they can extract more favorable price. So the origins of this stuff seem to be more in terms of legal guidance. And the question is, how does that jive necessarily with make sense clinically, whether you're talking about an ACO um, or a patient-centered medical home or just some uh, association that comes together to do their job of, uh, of care management or care coordination? Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not a lawyer, but I do know that the um, Federal Trade Commission and the uh, Department of Justice and 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 the, and the state um, uh, organizations that monitor you know anti-competitive behavior do use criteria to ascertain whether or not consolidation um, is really what's going on versus integration. Uh, and uh, I do know that uh, over the course of the last 10 years, it, 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 it seems the Department of Justice has and the FTC has created you know, certain criteria, safe harbors, if you will, that enable organizations to integrate without necessarily embarking in anti-competitive behavior. But you're absolutely right. And the... Uh, you know, as as ACOs start out as clinically integrated uh, entities, 
the question remains whether or not they'll turn into consolidated entities that are using their market power to command pricing from insurers in their in in their network. It really remains to be seen how this how this works out. So that's a good point that consolidation and integration are not necessarily <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, right. Right. And so much of the maybe the the movement has been on this consolidation side and maybe a renewed uh, awakening of the the importance of integration particularly on the on the care coordination side you know and i i far be it for me to 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 talk to what the department of justice is really interested in but if as i understand it if the entity does a good job of demonstrating a commitment to patient care including the patient centered medical home that can translate in the in the application in the in the argument with the department of justice that you're really trying to do a good job here of taking good care of patients, that that does translate into some leeway uh, from the department in enabling you to move forward as an integrated network delivery system. Uh, on the other hand, I can tell you that from where I sit, there's still some confusion out there about those criteria and whether or not sim simpletons like you and me uh, compared to Vince, who's got a law degree, by the way, can really navigate this and, and figure it out in a way without crossing wires and, and running afoul of the regulations that you know, ultimately regulate this. So just an update on Vince. I, I, mean, I see him popping in and out here on Skype, and apparently we don't have a reliable connection with him. So uh, I, Vince, if you're actually listening to the stream, I'll encourage you to call back in, and I just put the uh, phone number in the chat box. But in case uh, you're listening, it's 619-393-2836. Uh, so let's go back to where you're sitting, Jan, because... In my career, I've worked most closely with physicians, but I've also been in uh, hospitals, both at the corporate and the individual hospital unit level. So I, I have the hospital perspective. I also have the perspective of the alchemy of forging provider-sponsored health plans. Um, but a, a, from Geisinger to where you sit today and what you're seeing, what strikes you as perhaps making the most sense and what makes the least sense in terms of the more enlightened activity we ostensibly see today? Yeah, I don't have a good answer uh, other than saying that I'm impressed with the amount of variation going on out there, which is a bad thing, right? <laughs> the whole purpose of the healthcare reform movement is to rationalize healthcare. But when you go out to these markets and you examine what's going on, you'll find that in one area of a state, there'll be a variation of a clinically integrated network. In another area of a state or right next door, there'll be an ACO with some upside risk contracting going on with some or all of the local insurers to bundled payments to capitated payments with or without these providers forming licensed managed care organizations, managed care organizations in some instances like in Pittsburgh buying, you know, healthcare delivery systems. 
the, the, it's almost like let a thousand flowers bloom and no one really knows which model is necessarily going to take root. My bet is that depending on the, on the local culture, depending on the population, depending on prior billing patterns and referral patterns, as well as, I don't know, the, the motion of the stars and the rotation of the planet, we're going to find that what works in uh, inland Florida is going to be vastly different than, work, than what works in Minnesota, than, than what works in Mexico. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, that there's so much variation going on with you know, horizontally integrated systems, vertically integrated systems, with or without managed care entities, with or without risk contracting, with or without you know, regional uh, consolidation, with or without virtual consolidation. It's, it's all over the map. And there's no single lever here that healthcare architects can pull or push as the answer to healthcare reform. That's what strikes me. So no cookie cutter and, um, and, and variation might really be diversity at some level, but what, what are the, um, maybe the, some guiding principles here to uh, a, uh, assess what might be the best fit given the range of models? And, and I think we just got Vince popping. Let me see. Vince, might that be you? Hey, can you hear me now? Oh, yes. <laughs> Yay. There he is. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Well, sometimes yes, technology creates more problems. Anyway, nice to join you, <laughs> even if a little late. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been a challenge all around, but, you know, bottom line, um, we want to get this conversation in, in its whole uh, on the record because it really is an important chat. So I actually teed up that question uh, that I wanted to start with you, Vince, and, and that is, um, you know, going back to what is a clinically integrated network and, and why does it matter from the point of view of accountable care and why, and, and why is it so central right now to, to the conversation we're hearing around accountable care? Well, I've heard bits and pieces of the conversation as you've been trying to get me on the line, and Jan's done an admirable job. I'm going to just hit a few of the highlights here and the bullet points, and then, uh, and then we can see if we can take it from here. You know, ACOs, accountable care organizations, are getting all the attention, where uh, in the shadows there is this other construct around clinical integration that, that really needs to be as much, if not more, front and center than does the whole idea of ACOs and accountable care. And the, uh, the term is not meant to be used generically. It's a, a legal term, and uh, I, I hesitate to say this, but the term clinical integration really was created by the lawyers. It was uh, defined in 1996 by the Federal Trade Commission, and the purpose was really to help organizations of doctors and hospitals to be able to contract together uh, and also to be able to avoid antitrust uh, at the same time. The, the statistic, I don't know if you have mentioned it, but I think that, that really uh, got this on my radar screen fairly recently, the advisory board, which is uh, a major consultant to 
most large U.S. hospitals has been tracking the number of clinically integrated networks. Their count as of the year 2005 was eight, and as of 2012, they were tracking over 500 of these clinically integrated networks. So uh, that, that, I think, is really the essence of signal to be paying attention to. Uh, I did hear Jan say uh, very correctly that uh, there is a lot of overlap and that a clinically integrated network can progress to become a more formal ACO, but uh, it doesn't have to. And that uh, I think the, uh, the takeaway here is that providers, you know, having established 500 of these, are really getting the message about the need to become uh, accountable and that fee-for-service is, uh, is going away. So let me pause there, Greg, and I know that's probably recovering some of the ground you guys have already covered. Uh, loop me back into the conversation here. Well, um, what was the, the, obviously this advisory board piece you're referring to? They must have had some some indicia that they uh, used to, uh, or criteria that they used to actually say, "Yep, that's a clinically integrated network." How are they how are they defined in in this respect? Uh, you'd have to ask them, and most of their research is proprietary. So I don't have the answers to those questions, but those are the right questions to be, to be asked. Uh, a clinically integrated network, like an ACO, is a legal entity. So somewhere down in the courthouse, uh, there's going to be a, uh, a registration of uh, the members of the entity, which are certainly going to include a number of doctors and in most cases probably would include uh, a hospital. The uh, confusion comes in that I think that there are a number of organizations out there uh, trying to track what's going on in accountable care. And uh, the Levitt group uh, and Oliver Wyman are, are two of them. They seem to both be doing a pretty good job. And their, their count is at 500 ACOs. And what I would love to see would be a list laid side by side of the 500 ACOs that are identified by uh, Wyman, Oliver Wyman, and by Levitt, and the advisory board's list of 500 clinically integrated networks. My hunch is that there would be a lot of duplication, but that there would also be some uh, probably fair number uh, on the advisory board list that are identified as clinically integrated networks but, but don't show up on the list of, uh, of ACOs necessarily. And if the folks out there listening are confused by all of this, I think that's, that's probably uh, the right reaction because it is all very confusing and there isn't standard terminology, there aren't standard definitions, and we do have, fortunately, a number of uh, companies tracking the field, but they're tracking it all in very different ways. So, so this would be somewhat characteristic of a of a, a um, of a immature industry that's in a rapid uh, growth cycle. Uh, um, 
albeit some of the, at least what I just heard at the ACO Congress is uh, particularly using the Levitt data is that uh, at least from the count from an ACO perspective, they're somewhat leveling off, but that doesn't necessarily include what, uh, what may be out there in terms of an otherwise clinically integrated network. So, Jan, you mentioned that... Uh, you know, we were talking about consolidation is not integration, and that that uh, variation may be also otherwise expressed as diversity. What would you see from a clinical standpoint? What what, what might be you know the five or six or whatever the number may be key considerations to be considered clinically integrated? Uh, you know, the main one from my point of view is the ability to take on some level of insurance risk. I think that's one of the major breakpoints, uh, and I don't and I don't uh, believe that that is necessarily that that necessarily means that you can, um, uh, the full boat capitation type of arrangement. But I think that if you are agreeing to a global payment in some fashion, or you have agreed to an upside risk arrangement in in exchange for uh, sharing sharing some 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 degree of responsibility for the cost of care, that is really an exercise in my mind in risk transfer, the monetization of risk and sharing of risk and the dollars that come from the upside of managing that that risk that risk well, and if you're an organization thanks to your integration, that includes. Um, the right kind of management of primary care, the right kind of management of uh, specialty care, and all the ancillary services, not the least of which is care management as well as the information systems that are necessary to do that, then you, you have crossed the Rubicon into some level of integration. And if you're really good at it, you can start entering into ACO, ACO contracts. But Vince ta taught me a long time ago and recently reminded me that another ingredient, I think, is the notion of platform. If, if all the components of the delivery system are sharing the right kind of platforms, not the least of which is health information technology, and, uh, an integrated uh, uh, information system, it can take the form of an electronic health record. That's how it's usually done. But you could have a health information exchange, for example, inside the organization that uh, allows doctors to see each other's notes from across town or from across different counties. I think, that's a, I think that's an ingredient for integration. And then last but not least, which is a lot harder, so I have three of them, a lot harder is the whole notion of culture, that the, that the docs, the administrators, the nurses, and all the other non-physician personnel are on the same page when it comes to the mission of the organization, understanding that you know, uh, it's not all about fee-for-service anymore, but this is really all about reconciling quality and reconciling cost, and understanding that from time to time, if you're going to deliver increased quality, it's going to take an investment, it's going to take additional cost, and you know, if that's the mission of the organization, that's the culture of the organization, so be it. Vince, any thoughts? Uh, I uh, I have in front of me. I'm gonna. I'll just read it and make it real quick. A, a list of what the FTC requires for for meeting the definition of being clinically integrated. As as I kick this off, uh, it's going to sound a lot like an ACO. 
And that's where part of the confusion is. Here's some of the FTC's requirements. It's a select group of doctors, meaning it's not everybody in your community. Uh, it's, you've got to have physician oversight. Uh, typically, the, the doctors will be controlling the board, and the hospital will have more of a, uh, they won't have a majority or a supermajority position. There needs to be performance metrics. There needs to be an IT infrastructure. There needs to be clinical redesign processes. There needs to be performance monitoring. Uh, there needs to be a payer-based incentive pool. Uh, those, are, those are all the kinds of things that the FTC looked at in allowing uh, doctors or doctors in hospitals who want to be clinically integrated networks to continue and, and what they get to continue doing essentially is the joint contracting. The, the real difference is in the ACO you take on uh, the population risk uh, and it's really uh, a step before entire, you know, uh, where, where, the, where the provider would become the insurance plan. But uh, it's much closer to a, uh, a higher level of risk that is taken on by the providers in an ACO versus a clinical, clinical, clinically integrated network. But uh, you know, a key point here is if, if you're really looking to understand where is the status of accountable care in America and you're looking only at ACOs, you miss a lot of the answer to that question if you're not also looking at what's going on in the clinically integrated network criteria. Uh, because as John pointed out, uh, these networks are really going to be or are becoming platforms for uh, the hospitals and the doctors to be working together. And they're going to, in most communities, emerge first as a clinically integrated network and they might evolve into becoming an ACO, but not necessarily. And again, if all that is confusing, uh, that's understandable, but I think uh, to really understand what's going on in accountable care in America, it's, it's really oversimplified if all you're doing is a, he a head count of ACOs, which are a much higher threshold of integration. Uh, that's great stuff, Vince. And, and Jan, let, let me say, because we got a late start and we had some technical difficulties, if the two of you can, can continue, uh, I will wind down the live portion of the broadcast, but uh, we'll go on into uh, an overtime segment if you're both available for that. I'm available. Sure. Okay, great. So uh, for the live audience, this is Greg Masters with uh, This Week in Accountable Care. I've been speaking with uh, Vince Karaitis and Jan Sidorov, and we're talking about clinically integrated networks and we're going to continue this conversation in overtime okay we're back we do have a live hard stop but the entire clip will uh, will archive end to end so uh, so yeah so uh, two things one is uh, going back to you Jan uh, I was wondering with your I uh, love the, the the outline of those key, uh, key ingredients and uh, so as you were talking I was saying now is he wearing his medical director hat or is this from the point of view of a primary care physician because she went straight to the whole risk uh, the risk bearing element and then and then you you know you you, you uh, um, so I, I'm going okay uh, 
and then and then Vince going to this uh, these indicia, you know, right, absolutely right on, and, and, and certainly for insensible, uh, you know, from an accountable care or any entity perspective that's going to assume this risk transfer. All that makes sense, and then you push the platform idea. So l- let's talk about platform because if anything seems to be different today, it's. about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 